everybody, and welcome back to another exciting edition of Nuts with a Z about sports. My name is Raymond, and I'm here alongside Darnell and Dan. And, you know, we really wanted to jump into the big game, but to be quite honest, I can't even jump into the big game because one man on this podcast uh, committed a little bit of a party foul. Um, We had a nice little pre-show meeting all set nice and planned for Monday night. And wouldn't you know it, one of the members of this podcast decided, hey, I've got something better to do. And that man is Dan. Dan, how could you? Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> we don't need to get into, we, we don't need to get sometimes into life gets in the way and, you know, and, and, and things happen and Hey, I'm, I'm here now. So, oh, oh, <laughs> so great. So great that you're here now, but you couldn't be here Monday night. You knew we had a pre-show meeting and you said, nah, 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 nah. Let me lay my onions on the table. <laughs> Come on, man. That, that's just not right. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Ho- hopefully, that'll be the first and last time. We got you, Dan. I'm sorry, bro. Wait, you know, and, and and Dan, trust me, me and Darnell absolutely love you, but we don't even hate you. We're just a little bit disappointed. We're not mad. We're just disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> so sounding like a touch of jealousy right now. I don't know. I might just have to go that route. <laughs> Oh, I, I told Darnell we ha- we had to roast you for a hot minute. Uh, oh, so. hey man, I get it, I get it. No worries, man. All all fun and games, brother. Yeah, quite literally. So, uh, welcome into week two of the Nuts with the Z about sports podcast. And wow, Darnell, um, we have a big game coming up, and your team is in it. Our team will never be there, but yet half the fans in the city of Detroit seem to be a little bit delusional and think that they should be rooting for one of the teams in this big game uh, or your team in that case. So why don't you kind of take us through the game? What are your thoughts? Uh, What's your angle, if you will, uh, going into the big game? Yeah, man. So uh, never say never. Uh, You know, I know uh, the Detroit Lions has been rebuilding since 1956, uh, but never say never if the Cincinnati Bengals can make the Super Bowl, so can Detroit. Um, super, super pumped about this weekend. Um, there's a lot of storylines, right? Um, and we don't need to go and hash over all of them. I'm pretty sure next week after the game we'll recap some of them. Uh, I like to say there's legacies on the line, right? This is Matthew Stafford's uh, time to submit himself in, in NFL history. This is Aaron Donald's time to submit himself in NFL history. And really, it's Joe Burrow's time. I mean, I saw that record. The dude is 7-0 and since college in the postseason, including the playoffs and the NFL playoffs. So, um, super excited about the game, but also super nervous. Cincinnati is going to pose uh, a bunch of threats on both sides of the ball. And I look forward to seeing how Sean McVay and Raheem Morris kind of uh navigate through that um i'm pretty sure i'll give a prediction before we get off today but once again super excited and i hope being from detroit i hope one day you guys will uh get this same type of feeling yeah i mean i i think the obvious storyline for this game here is is obviously the the quarterback play of both teams and what are they going to do this game you know i think the favorite is, you know, for Stafford to 
kind of blow up with the weapons he's got. Will Cincy be able to protect Joe Burrow? I don't know. That that Rams defensive line is looking pretty vicious right now. So Burrow might have to have another game like he did against the Titans, which, you know, understandably wasn't the greatest game, but he also got sacked nine times. I, I do think the from the Detroit fan perspective, it's it's really interesting that, in my opinion, a lot of the Detroit fans are, are cheering for Stafford. And, hey, man, I get it for good reason. But for me, I'm, I'm cheering more for Cincinnati because, you know, they've really laid down the groundwork of what you can do to get to this point. And their franchise over the last 30, 40 years or so have, you know, mirrored our franchise. And, you know, up until this point, you know, up until this season and this postseason run, they they had a longer streak than we did of not making the postseason and not having that postseason win, you know. So for me, it's it's hard to cheer for Ohio, but at the same time, as a Detroit fan, it certainly gives you some hope that, hey, a few things go right, you know, a few picks go right, find your guy build your team up the right way and you have a shot. And I guess I just kind of look at this game and normally you've got Super Bowls that you look forward to. And we talk all week long about how this is just going to be some great game. And I'm going to be looking forward to this game regardless, just because of the commercials. I mean, that is the best part of the Super Bowl by or big game by far. And yet I look at this and I just have a gut feeling this is just going to be a blowout of epic proportions, kind of like when uh, Denver took on Carolina and everybody thought that Cam Newton was going to go toe to toe with Peyton Manning. And yet that one turned into a pretty big snoozer uh, to say the least. And chances are more than likely I'm going to be super wrong. I mean, even look back to the big game where you had New England and Atlanta and Atlanta jumped out to that infamous 28 to three lead only for Tom Brady to turn into uh, a devil and uh, come all the way back and, you know, won that game, I believe in overtime, if I'm not mistaken. So of course you never can say never, but I just look at this game and Joe Burrow has been sacked. What 51 times, I believe in the regular season, uh, that offensive line against the Rams defensive line, no doubt is going to be the focus of this game. I, I, think that the Bengals have all the weapons to be able to just make up for the fact that the offensive line can't cover anybody to say the least and you look at Aaron Donald especially he must be looking at his chops I just don't know if Cincinnati is going to truly be able to overcome that offensive line especially when you need to not be so one-dimensional I mean Joe Burrow don't get me wrong is a great quarterback and no doubt he's got a great future I just look at this game I have a just a gut feeling that this is just going to be a blowout. So I can see three things happening in this game. Okay. I can see Raymond's approach. It being a blowout by the Rams. I could see um, a close score win by the Rams. And then I could see a last field goal walk off win by Cincinnati. I don't see Cincinnati blowing the Rams out. Um, so you can take that scenario off. Um, I do agree with, both of you guys, the one thing that I, I think the Rams have going for them, when you got Aaron Donald and Von Miller and Lillian Floyd on that defensive line going against the offensive line that gave up nine sacks against Tennessee, um, that's spelling trouble 
when you go against the Rams, right? Because the Rams defensive line, I would argue, is better than Tennessee. All Tennessee has on that defensive line is Isaiah Simmons. Um, and the Rams defense has, you know, future Hall of Famers, first-round picks. And so um, this game can get out of hand. What I will say is they cannot allow the Rams to do to them what Kansas City did to them in the AFC Championship game. Because if they allow the Rams to get off to like a 23-3 to lead or 27-3 to lead, it'll be over with a half. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's important to be very, very careful of saying never, right? I mean, I, I think sports in general just really teaches you until that clock hits zero, it's it's never over. And while I do think that Rams offense is slightly more potent than Kansas City's, I I don't think it's that much more. And if Cincinnati was able to make the proper adjustments and do it against Kansas City, I I don't think there's a reason why they couldn't do it against the Rams. But regardless, I I, I will say them coming out flat the first half and having to do that all over again is most likely going to spell trouble. And for the most part, I, I would agree with you and, and their ability to come back on that game. But do I think it's impossible? No. But do I also think that that scenario of already being blown out in the first half is going to come as well? Uh, I'm not sure. I, I I do think your third scenario of, you know, the walk-off field goal winning kick will definitely has a chance to play here. But overall, I think this game is going to stay close with the Rams victory, maybe in that five to seven point range personally. Yeah. And I believe the current spread on the game is somewhere around four to four and a half, depending on of course, uh, what sports book people use. I just like, for example, the chiefs were almost up by three full scores and it took the Bengals holding the Chiefs, I kid you not, to three points in the whole second half just to be able to make that comeback. And it's one thing to do that against Kansas City where most of their weapons are on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, they do have a decent defense, but let's not kid ourselves. I mean, most of their damage is going to come on the offensive side of the ball. So to be able to hold them to three points was just unbelievable. But the Rams just – they're – one of the most all-around, um, well-rounded teams that I've seen in quite some time. And they've really cashed in all their chips to be able to just add to their roster, whether it was Von Miller or uh, Jalen, uh, what was it, Jalen Ramsey a couple years ago. So I just look at this game, and unless Joe Burrow just comes out and goes toe-to-toe with Stafford, I, I just think that over the long run, I think the Rams are going to just cruise probably more so in the second half and just wear it on the Bengals. And I just don't see this, you know, being a close game, but I'm usually never right about these things. So chances are Cincinnati is just going to win in a blowout and I'm going to come back next week and look stupid, but Hey, we're all allowed to make bad sports, uh, you know, opinions once in a while, but this is just the gut feeling I have for this week. Hey, I will say this very quickly, something that a lot of people underestimated. And I didn't realize this. So they talked about it today on NFL Live. Mina Kimes brought it up. Cincinnati was able to get back in that game because Andy Reid's refusal to run the football. As far as Sean McVay, his offense is predicated on running the ball. It Like, Sean McVay's offense 
is being on display with Cincinnati and the Rams, right? They both like to do the same things because they come from the same coaching tree. And so the reason why Cincinnati was able to get back in that game in the second half when they made the adjustments is because Andy Reid was dropping Pat Mahomes back throwing every single time. So they were just rushing three, dropping eight, right? And so I don't think that Sean McVay is going to allow them to rush three. They're going to have to put four or five guys on the line to stop the run because if they don't, Sony Michelle, Cam Akers, and we're getting Daryl Henderson back, they're going to have a big day on the ground. So um, it's kind of a pick your poison. You're going to stop the run, and then we're going to go to OBJ and Cooper Cup and Vance Jefferson and Blanton because Higby probably won't play. You want to stop the pass? We're going to run the ball with our three-headed monster. So it's going to be kind of interesting, the chess, the chess pieces between Sean McVay and uh, Cincinnati's defense coordinator. Yeah, I mean, last last note here, and, and we can wrap the, the topic up, but I think it's really important to not get overconfident with the lead and, and saying that, you know, the Rams and McVay have it in the bag if that happens, simply because what happened against Tampa Bay, what happened against San Francisco, you know, uh, last game of the season. We've seen teams come back on the Rams, and – while I believe strongly in Stafford's ability, I think it's important to note that he has his moments too. And, and he, he makes those throws where he gets overconfident and it's, you know, just the wrong decision at the wrong time. And he had a stretch, you know, where he was just throwing pick six after pick six after pick six. But I do think that's what it's going to require for Cincy. They're going to have to win the turnover battle. I think that margin's got to be plus two for them to have a shot shot in this game. And I do like Rams running backs a lot. I like Cam Akers a lot, especially. I still give the edge to Mixon, though. I, I think Mixon by himself is still far more prolific than what the Rams have to offer in the running game. All that's left to do is just watch the big game. But coming up next, a Nutty Blitz. Alrighty, and welcome back to Nuts with a Z about sports. It is now time for a Nutty Blitz. Okay, Darnell and Dan, I have for you some of the funnest things in the world to kind of take a look at leading up to the big game. And no, it's not the upcoming commercials or the jersey combinations. These are prop bets. And normally for a regular season game, you don't see these type of uh, things you can actually place a bet on. But all of these, of course, I can't find anything on uh, FanDuel, but I was able to find all these odds as of yesterday on uh, Tuesday, courtesy of sportsbetting.ag, which I believe is a offshore market. Um, so I'm just going to kind of go down the list here. Give me just kind of like a five, 10 second, you know, reaction to all these uh, different prop bets and uh, we're going to have some fun with this. So one of the things you can bet on during the big game is the national anthem. That's right. The national anthem. You can place a bet on it. Um, Darnell. And then uh, Dan uh, will the singer who happens to be Mickey Guyton will M- Mickey Guyton forget or omit a word during the national anthem. 
Uh, yes would be plus 900, no minus 3,000. Uh, I'm going to go with yes. I just like the eyes. He's going to mess up some type of word. I'm going to go with no, but it's certainly not a bet I'd take either way. How about this? The number of planes during the flyover, because, of course, we're doing a flyover in an indoor dome stadium. Uh, over, under five planes, over is plus 125, under is minus 165. This is California. They're going to try to do it big. Even though you can't see it, I'm going to go with the over. Getting six planes seems a little out of reach, in my opinion. I, I can't recall seeing a flyover with six planes, personally. If I have to make an exact on the... If I had to make a guess on the exact number, I'm going with three planes, so I'll take that under. And then to be shown first during the national anthem. So this would be... So, of course, you know, they're always going to pan around to different players or coaches or you know prominent people in the audience so to be shown first during the national anthem it's between joe burrow and matthew stafford um joe burrow is actually the favorite at minus 130 matthew stafford shortly behind at minus 110 you know i'm riding with my boy give me stafford i'm i'm taking that bet with my heart i'm actually gonna bet that yeah give me stafford yeah i gotta agree too i'm i'm going stafford first but you know, Macaulay Culkin can can draw the cameras, so it, it'll be a close one, but I'll, I'll ride Stafford as well. And then the next one will be specifically about the actual singer uh, herself, Mickey Guyton. Uh, what color outfit will she be wearing? Uh, white, black, yellow, gold, uh, which would be, you know, the same uh, blue, red, green, pink, orange, purple, and gray and silver are your different options. And so... For white, it's plus 250, black, plus 500, yellow or gold, plus 300, blue, plus 400, red, plus 900, green, plus 1400, pink, plus 1000, orange, plus 1400, purple, plus 900, or gray or silver, plus 500. Man, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I knew so I Brand Brandy wore white when she sung the national anthem at the NFC Championship game, so she probably won't wear white. Uh, maybe blue. Yeah, I think you know maybe some type of patriotic color would make the most sense. But I'm gonna go gray silver, and it, and it's really just because I looked up her online right now and looking at images, and I see a lot of. I see a lot of silver, but I also see some blues and I see some golds as well. So I think if you decide between those three colors and if the odds lend it right, meaning you're getting plus 300 between all those bets, you, you might be able to play all three and still make out on top. And then these are, of course, during the National Anthem as well. Any scoring drive shorter time than the national anthem. Now, I think the over under for that is somewhere around like a minute and a half ish, you know, right around there. So, yes, would be minus 215, no plus 165. Oh. So, basically, will it be a one or two play drive? Yeah, I'm about to say a bomb. I... No, no, because I think these teams are going to play two deep safeties. And I'm gonna let Stafford take the top off with OBJ, and the Rams are not gonna allow Burrow to throw over the top with uh, Jamar Chase. Yeah, I mean, let's see. The over/under is 95 seconds, so we're talking about minute 35 here. And oddly enough, oh, uh, I just 
you know, you can't count the Rams out of hitting one, at least one home run play, right? I mean, they have OBJ, they got Cooper Cup. So I'm actually going to go with yes, that they'll be a drive shorter than the 95 second national anthem time that's being propped up right now. And then these are uh, just different uh, things in regards to the coin toss. So, of course, the coin toss, I feel like, has become very uh, zoomed in on, if you will, uh, especially with Kansas City. Um, heads or tails is both at minus 101. I kid you not. You, can, you can, One's not even favored over the other. It's just, uh, is it going to be heads or is it going to be tails? I had a guru growing up. Old saying as a little boy, tails never fails, baby. Give me tails. Well, we gotta make it interesting then. So I got I gotta go heads. I think I think most sites put the juice at minus one oh five though. Minus one oh one still does it for probably most sports book, but it really, really doesn't do it for the sports book on, on too much of the profit margins on the juice when you're at minus one oh one. But hey, if you can find that by all means. And then in addition to that, will the coin toss winner win the game? Yes is minus uh, 105. No is minus 105. So this is very funny, right? Because if McVeigh wins, he's going to defer. And we're uh, something like 18 and 0 when he does that. And so I'm going to say yes, because if he loses the toss, we might lose the game. <laughs> <laughs> So I am going to say that the coin toss winner will win the game as well. I think both coaches, quite honestly, defer. I'd, I'd be shocked if you had any other decision made off of a one coin toss. But the reason I will go yes on both is simply because we've seen how unlucky Cincinnati is with coin tosses. So I just automatically assume they're going to lose this one. And I, I do think the Rams will win. So there you go. And sticking with the coin toss, will the coin toss caller be correct? Uh, yes and no are each at minus 105. Oh, now that's interesting. Uh, they both at 105. I feel like I can't lose. I guess yes. I assume that actually they won't have a do they have a coin toss caller i thought they automatically just assign one side of the coin to each team and whatever side that lands on but i i could be wrong about that if someone does call the coin toss i assume it's going to be cincy so i'm going to go with the loss on the caller if it is, if there is a caller yeah cincy the home team is the rams calling it oh if the if it's the rams calling then okay then well i'll i'll have to go with uh rams winning that now watch everything you guys will say will just be completely the opposite. And this is why y'all have to call the number. Uh, <laughs> and of course, uh, th these are just, again, some uh, funny things I found. Again, courtesy of sportsbetting.ag. Uh, what will be said first during the game? COVID or Omicron? COVID is at minus 350. Omicron is at plus 225. Give me Omicron. Man, is, is there a neither option? I mean, I I kind of feel like over the last few weeks now, or really through the postseason, that the NFL has just gone out of its way to pretend that COVID doesn't exist anymore. I mean, especially when we had that stretch during the break, holiday breaks, everyone was breaking out, everyone was getting COVID, and now all of a sudden, gone. So 
I, I have a feeling they might not even mention it, but if if they do, I'll I'll go COVID first. Or Kershaw's staffer's best friend. <laughs> Interestingly I enough, I feel like they haven't brought that up at all. I don't think I've heard that once since he's been in LA, but I tried looking for odds on that specifically, could not find that. Um, what will be said first during the game? Detroit Lions or Jared Goff? Lions are at plus 100. Uh, Jared Goff is at minus 140. Oh, Matthew Stafford at Detroit. Yeah, give me the Detroit Lions. Oh, yeah, I got to go with Detroit Lions as well. Um, I feel like bringing up Jared Goff would be in bad taste, but both will probably happen. Odds alone, take the Lions. I, I thought we were told never to take the Lions no matter what, although I think uh, they actually did pretty good against the spread this year. Uh, but normally, you just feel like if you bet on the lines, you're just going to lose. All right. Uh, will they show Joe Burrow smoking a cigar? And this has to be between uh, the kickoff and the end of the regulation. Uh, so I don't think this can include OT. But will they show Joe Burrow smoking a cigar? Uh, yes, is that plus 600? No, minus 1,500. Nah, it won't happen. Are we talking about him lighting up a cigar or just some past instance where he's smoked a cigar and they show a video of it? Like some past instance, like in the locker room celebrating after a game. Oh, I didn't know I could that. see no. it. I could see it. But it would uh, have to be during, obviously, the four quarters. During the game, of course, yeah. I, I, I mean, I could see it, um, especially when you get all the extra time at, you know, the halftime break. Obviously, they have the show, but I'm sure they'll run through some some video footage on both teams. And the Burrow, you know, cigar smoking has just kind of become synonymous with him. So, yeah, I could see it. I'll, I'll take that bet. And to be honest, I think in order for it to hit, they probably would need to be probably in the lead comfortably, and they're just running out of things to talk about. But you never know. Uh, Times home field advantage is said during uh, the game. And again, this is between the, all four quarters, not before the game or after the game. Uh, over under is at one and a half times and over is at plus 150. Under is at minus 200. Give me the over. Yeah, I mean, that that sounds way too low. I I mean, it's, it's SoFi Stadium, the Rams. You, you, you got to figure it's over one and a half. Because even, so, even if somehow so the Rams ratty. are outnumbered, you know, if, if even if the Rams are outnumbered, then they'll they'll say, you know, this should be a home field advantage for the Rams, but it isn't, you know. So there's there's so many ways that that phrase can come up for this game. Now we're going to go into the Super Bowl MVP. And sometimes it just seems like the MVP, you never remember the Super Bowl MVP, but you always remember the league MVP of the year. Uh, so this is specific to the game. Uh, Stafford's at plus 125. Joe Burrow is at plus 225. Again, this is just, it, I'm sure you could find different odds specifically for this on like FanDuel or DraftKings or uh, BetMGM. Uh, but specifically on this site, uh, Joe Burrow is at plus 225. Stafford plus 125. Uh, just I'll go over some notable ones. Uh, Cooper Cup is at plus 550. Jamar Chase is at plus 2,000. Joe Mixon plus 3,300. Uh, Cam Akers plus 2,800. Um, and then we get to Aaron Donald at plus 1,200. Uh, Jalen Ramsey at plus 4,000. 
Uh, so you'd figure it, it, the guys with the very long shot odds or Odell Beckham at plus 2,500, for example, they'd probably have to make like the play to win the Super Bowl, basically. Um, but I don't know what, where are you guys leaning at with uh, Super Bowl MVP? So for me, this has been a quarterback driven award. Um, and so I have to, because I'm, I'm picking the Rams to win the game, I'd have to say it's going to be Stafford. However, if I'm looking for value, um, I could see, uh, give me, give me Aaron Donald because he could have a game like Von Miller had in the Super Bowl, and that make him the MVP. And so, um, yeah, I didn't mean uh, the big game. Uh, <laughs> and so he could, <laughs> he could have it and wreck the game, and that could be his MVP. So I like those odds at plus twelve hundred. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Whatever team wins, you know, most likely it's going to be the quarterback. If since he wins, Joe Burrow all day. If Rams win, most likely Stafford. I think you can make two separate arguments for the Rams and Cooper Cup, but Cooper Cup's you know success is still tied with Stafford at the end of the day. But I do love the value on Aaron Donald. I I love that value. You know, at plus one twenty five for Stafford. You know, I'm I'm not sure that presents enough unless you're just confident the Rams are going to win and, and you're looking to get, you know, even money plus some. But Aaron Donald, I absolutely think, has the ability to be able to win this award outside of a quarterback. I found this to be pretty interesting. Um, the first offensive play by the Los Angeles Rams and the first offensive play by the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, the odds are pretty similar here. Uh, Rush is at minus 140 uh, for the Rams, minus 130 for the Bengals. And then uh, the first play being a pass uh, for the Rams would be plus 110. And for the Bengals, it would be plus 100. It just, it doesn't seem to me that this is clearly, you know, Rush, you know, both of these teams will uh, just hand the ball off just to get the jitters off their chest. I don't know, because uh, to start the game against Tampa, McVay threw the ball. He threw it to OBJ. It was a little three-yard screen pass. So I take the – I like the odds on uh, – give me the plus 110 on uh, the Rams and then give me uh, the rush for uh, Joe Mixon. Yeah, I, I would agree with most of that. I, I think both teams are going to rush regardless of what team it is. But if, if anybody's going to pull out – pass first first play of the game for the Super Bowl it'll absolutely be McVeigh so I think if if you're not gonna go rush you take the Rams on the pass but otherwise I, I like rush for both I, I I just I agree with you and just saying that you know get those early game jitters out you don't you don't want to you know throw a bad pick to start the game off it's not worth it you know get your team settled in it's going to take a you know probably the full drive to do it do it smart do it conservative and then i found this to be interesting as well uh total sacks between both teams during the game uh one sack for either team uh, or combined uh, is that plus 1400 Two is at plus 700, three plus 450, four plus 375, uh, five sacks, uh, plus 325, six plus 375, seven or more is at plus 190, 
and then zero is at plus 2,500. So basically is Joe Burrow going to get sacked nine times, um, you know, alone? Cause you figured the Bengals are probably going to get one or two on their end. Uh, my gut would probably be telling me, you know, about six, cause you never, it's never going to hit seven, <laughs> but I'd like to think that each team gets at least, you know, a couple of sacks and it'll probably end up somewhere around five to six. Uh, yeah, I like six as a number. I don't think Burrow gets sacked nine times. I don't think they allow him to get sacked that many times. Um, so yeah, six is good. It's combined sacks for the teams, right? So I, I absolutely yep. see a scenario where since he gets two sacks on Stafford and the Rams get five, you know, so give me, give me the, the seven gives you breathing room. Cause if, if they get to the quarterback a lot, you know, I could see that trying to hit the number spot on is so difficult. You know, they're giving me ranges, you know, zero to two, two to two to three, three, three to six, and then seven plus, then, then I'd probably change that up. But without the ranges and only the range on the back end, give me, give me the seven plus Burrow gets sacked five times. Stafford gets sacked twice. And then I got a couple more for you guys. Uh, th- this one is kind of, it's been the storyline of the NFL this year. And sometimes it's called the no fun league because will there be a penalty for taunting? Yes. Is that plus 600? No. Is that minus 1500? I hate those odds. Uh, <laughs> doesn't that seem so ratty? Like you would think that there is going to be yeah. a taunting penalty during the game, but it doesn't feel like we've you know, like Tyree kill, for example, he hit like that long, you know, run against uh, Buffalo, and he threw up the peace sign. Did he get called for taunting? Of course he didn't. So I'm saying no. I'm saying oh, no man. just because of knowing the profile of the two teams. I think they both understand that catching a stupid penalty can demoralize a drive. So I just I don't see it. That's why that I think those odds are so bad. Yeah, I mean, this is a Super Bowl, and, and you don't want to be the guy to allow the other team to get back into it on momentum because of a bad penalty. I mean, it it would have to come from being up so much and the penalty not mattering, and I'm not sure that scenario happens. The crazy thing about that Tyreek Hill taunting play is if you look at that play – when he puts the peace sign up, the defender is actually still ahead of him with the better line to him than he has to the end zone. And that's how confident in his speed he was that this guy was still in front of me and I'm still going to put it up in, in, in his face. And, and it is wild when you see the still frame of that shot. Uh, and then the last one I have here for you is the classic color of Gatorade poured on the winning coach. Uh, you have orange at plus 375, red or pink is at plus 1200, uh, yellow green line is at plus 325, purple is at plus 1400, clear is at plus 200, blue is at plus 325, and none is at plus 950. Now, I will say, I believe uh, over the last couple of years, orange and blue have been the popular choices and clear I, has been used before in the big game, but I don't think it's been used since uh, the 2000s. So, I, but I think it was like somewhere in the late nineties, I think that was used. So I would like to think in clear is at plus 200 this time around, which is actually the favorite to be quite honest, which is weird. 
Um, so if, if you're asking me, I'd probably go yellow, green and lime. I don't know. It just seems like those three flavors alone seem to be the popular choices, but watch, it's going to be like purple. Yeah. I, I, we talked about this off air. Um, yellow, green, lime. I'm not going to jump on a bad wagon with you. Give me, uh, what was blue? Uh, blue is at plus three twenty five. Uh, give me blue. Yeah. So let's see. We had Buccaneers was blue. Chiefs was orange. Patriots was blue. Eagles prior to that was yellow. So I, I don't know. I mean, I I think orange might be the smart play here, but because I think the Rams are gonna win. I think they're also going to match that Gatorade color to the Rams color. So let's, let's go blue. Uh, let's go blue. I like that right there. We got to say, Oh that. no. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. Cut that. Cut Ooh, that. Got him. Got him. Got him. Oh no. Oh, and for the, see, for the audience. I see why we have this question in here. Now you, you for, set me up. For the you audience set me that up, Raymond, you set me up. For the audience that don't know, he is our resident Michigan State fan, and he just said, "Let's go blue." <laughs> you know what? I total miss misspeak. I, I meant to say go green on on their Gatorade. You know that was just you know just complete slip of the brain. You know, do they have green Gatorade? I, I, I you know, I, I think they're gonna make it up just for this game. So. Oh, man, dude, I I don't even care if this uh, podcast does well. That was pure ratings right there. Uh, And don't worry, uh, this won't get mentioned elsewhere on any sort of uh, Twitch chats. Uh, But this will be a good thing. I'm a mod because I can just instantly (laughs) instantly ban. So it's all good. Uh, But that concludes uh, this segment here of the Nutty Blitz. All right, and welcome back to Nuts with a Z about sports. And normally this segment would be called uh, Quick Takes in the Bowl of Nuts, but I don't know if we're going to exactly be able to necessarily make our takes very quick, and I don't really want to hold you guys back. But Darnell, I want you to kind of take us through kind of what the storyline has really been over the past week, which has been the Rooney rule kind of getting into focus a little bit more. And uh, just give me your thoughts on, I guess, what should we do about this? When you brought this to me earlier in the week, I I sat back and I thought about it. I've been thinking about it for a while. And I don't think there's not a, it's not, it's not a simple answer. Um the Rooney Rule is in place to give uh, people of minority-based uh, race an opportunity to, you know, get uh, league positions, whether it's head coach, GM, uh, presidents of teams. And uh, it was created by the Rooney family, um, the owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, when it was, you know, inducted, there were, uh, I believe, three uh, minority coaches um, and as of this year, before this hiring season, we were down to one. And so, um, is there a quick fix to this? Man, I don't know. The NFL has tried a lot. Um, they're giving out compensatory picks for hiring minority candidates. Um, but I think at the end of the day, uh, you can't enforce or tell 
a billionaire how to run his how to run his franchise. And and until we get billionaire, until we get the owners to get on the board and say we're not going to give sham interviews, we're going to actually give real interviews. And truly, it'd be a real interview based on the merit of what the person has done. Um, it'll never be fixed, and I and I hate to say never. So it won't be fixed for a while. Okay. Um, I try to stay clear of it because I know so many people are passionate about it and, and I've heard different fixes, but I just feel like you make a rule saying you got to hire one. Well, now you may alienate a a race of a a coach that actually deserves the job. You know, um, I do think that the NFL owners, uh, it would do them some justice to really look into, um, the guy that's getting ready to put a bid in for the Denver Broncos. He's a black man. Um, I think there needs to be some diversity in the ownership group. And um, I think that would be a good first step. Yeah, so this this topic is, let's be honest, an, an onion with so many different layers and so many different ways to look at it. And legitimate you know, talking points from both sides regardless of what your opinion of of the rule is and you know um actually two two minority owners when when the Rooney rule was first put into place now one my minority I'm minority coaches I should say and and only one minority coach since since it's been enacted and in oddly or coincidentally enough by the Rooney family with Mike Tomlin right so you know at least they're practicing what they're preaching you know I I think when it comes down to it is you know the the kind of the best ways to look at it is you I would agree with Darnell you cannot force ownership and and when you do that, you go down a really, really, you know, sticky road. And and the problem isn't, you know, f- the problem or or fixing the problem isn't by, you know, the mandating or the forcing on these on these owners. It's it's at a systemic and infrastructural level. So like Darnell said, I mean, once there is more minority representation at the very top. When it comes to ownership, I don't think you'll actually ever have a fix, you know, but this is what I'll say. And, and you know, regardless of what what people think about qualifications, I mean, just look at the stats. If you just look at the stats and look at representation of player base in the league versus coaching. And looking at the representation of the leash that's given to white versus minority coaches. I mean, how many times have we seen white coaches do terrible jobs, but still find work elsewhere? I mean, I just heard Adam Gase is about to get another coaching position, you know, as a coordinator. I don't know how that guy continues to find work. He's awful. Then you have the reverse end. You know, my own team, the best coach I've arguably ever seen in my whole entire life, you know, was Jim Caldwell was fired basically for taking, you know, a team to the playoffs that rarely ever gets there. 
and even he has problems getting a job post-Lions, considering he was arguably the best coach they've had over the last three decades. You know, and Brian Flores, we can talk about it over and over again, but he's a great coach. You know, he, he, what he did with that Dolphins franchise and, you know, winning the amount of games they won, you know, I think his overall record with them ended up being, you know, 24 of 25, but, uh, you know, he'd had two winning seasons with that team. Uh, you know, a team that was not very good before he got there. So, you know, we, we have to look at why is it that even successful black coaches in the league are given such a short leash? I mean, you can say the same thing with Tony Dungy, too. And yet, when you see the reverse happen on the other end, you know, Matt Patricia was arguably the worst coach I've ever seen for the Lions. And he was already instantly rehired back with the Patriots. Go figure. So why, why the differences between the two? And, and I think that's kind of a talking point that enough people are not willing to acknowledge. You know, there's plenty of talking points on, on both sides on, on a lot of on the same issue that people can agree or disagree with. But just looking at the simple statistics, why the difference? Why the difference? Hey, if, if, if a black coach does bad and a white coach does bad and hey, they, they both have tough times finding new positions. Great. If that's what's consistently happening. But that's not. It's, it's, it's just simply not. And the overall trend, when you look at the data, simply shows, hey, black coaches, much shorter le- leash than their white counterparts. Dan, I think you kind of put it best kind of to start your uh, talking point. They're talking about like the layers of an onion. And there's just so many things that even I look at and you try to think, even if you want to sit there and peel back the layers of the onion and you want to try to find a solution, if you try to sit there and force the teams to hire head coaches that are minorities, then you're kind of running the risk of not hiring the best guy for the job. And I mean, you look at, um, you know, just different people all around the league that you feel like deserve to get hired. Yet you look at Lovey Smith, and now he's getting hired back into the league to basically coach the Houston Texans only to then reports come out basically saying, well, they really wanted to hire Josh McCown, but because of the whole Brian Flores lawsuit, they pretty much needed to hire Lovey Smith. And then maybe in a couple of years, they might transition it to Josh McCown. So that's just, it, it, that's the type of stuff that I think everybody run the league that is trying to make, changes for the better when it comes to minority head coaches getting hired that's the stuff that's ever so frustrating and in a league where let's just be honest is predominantly with minority players and not everybody in the league is you know like Tom Brady or Peyton Manning you know just you know this you know prominent you know white guy if we're just again being completely honest then there needs to be a better representation along the head coaches but again, it, what are you going to do? Start, you know, dangling out draft picks for people that sit there and hire, you know, minority head coaches, because that just, it, it, if you're going to that route, it almost feels like it's not even worth going through that struggle. 
yet how in the world are we supposed to get minority you know coaches to be able to get the interviews without forcing teams basically to interview them i mean do you increase it from let's say you know one to two or two to four it 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 doesn't matter how many people you force teams to hire because i mean like for instance when the lions were going through the process to hire eventually dan campbell i mean they were looking at you know guys like marvin lewis who was very very um you know successful with the Bengals, but he never could win a playoff game and I never had a problem with Jim Caldwell up until the fact that he couldn't win the big games. So there's just, we don't need the retreads like the, you know, Lovey Smith to come back into the league and basically be, you know, placeholders for people. But you look at guys like Tony Dungy and you look at guys like, you know, Lovey Smith back when he was with the bears and you look at guys like uh, Mike Tomlin, they were all, and I think Jim Caldwell, we could actually throw him into the mix when he, back when he was coaching the Colts, those are your only uh, head coaches that I'm seeing right now, according to a list that I'm looking at, that have actually made it to the Super Bowl. So it, it, it can be done. It's just they need to be given time. And whether the league you know, institutes a policy to basically say, you know, no matter who you hire, let's just say they're given like, you know, instead of, you know, two years, you know, they're given, let's say, three years to be able to, you know, basically change the program around because sometimes you're going to have to go through a rebuild just to be able to try to you know make the playoffs but if you maybe institute a policy no matter who the head coach is black white asian otherwise if he's given at least three years because you can't really do it over a four-year period because the the nfl people are just looking for instant gratification i don't think teams would be willing to agree with four but if you could at least give three years to a new incoming head coach to be able to implement his system and to be able, and then after three years, if teams aren't happy with the direction of the team, then they can move on. I, I just think there has to be something done, but there's just Darnell. I, I look at this and the more that you try to institute, there's always, you're not going to be able to make everybody happy and you can't try to please, you know, both sides of the aisle, if you will, when it comes to this topic, but it's just, as Dan said, it's a topic that sometimes nobody is willing to talk about, but yet, I think the league is doing the right thing. And at least now we have to start talking about it because it's embarrassing. It really is. And it's a bad look for the league. So give you a little stat here. So 70% of the league is represented by players are, are black, but yet and still we have five coaches of color. Okay. Uh, two black coaches, Tomlin and Levy Smith. Um, you have uh, Washington's head coach Rivera. Yeah, Mike McDonald, who just, I mean, not Mike McDonald, um, McDonald, who just got hired in Miami. And the other one is, I'm coming to a blank on, but it's not just the coaches, though. You know, it, it's it's the execs, too. You know, GMs, teams, presidents, uh, people of color working in the, the league office. You know, there's only a few that work in the actual league office. And to speak to your point that you spoke about, Raymond, they are giving out draft picks. The Lions got the Lions. I mean, the Rams got two third round draft picks for the Lions hiring Brad Holmes, and it was simply because he was a man of diversity and uh, basically a black GM. And um, the the Texans, which is so confusing to me, is Lovey Smith was on the same staff with David uh, Cutley, so you could have basically just kept Cutley there. You know what I'm saying? Like hiring Lovey Smith is the biggest slap to the face of 
NFL fans because you're trying to basically throw the wool over our eyes. You want to hire Josh McCown. You couldn't hire Josh McCown because it would look bad that Josh McCown was in the finalists with Brian Flores and another person, and you went with somebody who's never coached an NFL game, has never been a, a coordinator, has never even been a position coach. Okay, all he did was play the game. So to pacify everybody, you hire Lovey Smith. I've seen reports that Lovey is going to bring Josh McCown on to his staff. Uh, Pip Hamilton is going to be the OC, but I think uh, Josh McCown is going to be like the quarterbacks coach or something. So basically, the Texans say, hey, Lovey, you want to make some extra money for the next two years? We want to bring Josh in, but we can't bring him in without any experience. So we're going to put him on your staff. And then, you know, if it don't go well in two to three years, you're gone, and we're going to bring in the guy we want to bring in. And I just think that it's disingenuous, and it's a bunch of baloney. And like I said at the beginning, I don't know how to fix it because it has to be fixed at the top, at the at the top, the, the tippy top, right? It's not on Goodell. It's on those 32 owners who own these teams because – at the end of the day, they're Goodell's boss, right? And so I saw him get put on spot today at the press conference for the Super Bowl, and I felt what he was saying. It's like, I can I can only send out so many emails and reprimand these guys. At the end of the day, they're multi-billionaires. They run the league. You know, we can we can implement all these different programs to help uh, rate multiracial or blacks or whatever, but if these owners are not going to step up to the plate – and be the change, it's never going to change. It's going to always be status quo. It's going to always be the same. Yeah, just just a couple more things to touch on. I mean, I think it's important to, you know, not take hearsay or rumors and, and, and look at it as factual because at the end of the day, we're all just making conjecture. And, you, you know, that's the one thing about sports and just, you know, opinions in general, even outside of the sports is understanding that it is conjecture. So your, your opinion is not necessarily any more valid than anybody else's. So, you know, I've heard the McCown stuff a lot too, and Hey, I get it. But at the end of the day, we don't know. I mean, we, we really don't know. Uh, maybe Lovey Smith could have just knocked it out of the park and, and, and the tech Texans became very enamored with them. Maybe all of the fallout from Flores was all just completely coincidental. I mean, I can argue that as much as anybody could argue against it because at the end of the day, that is conjecture, you know? So it's re- really important to understand too. I think people look at Lovey Smith as just this handout hire, but like Lovey Smith as you said previous, he he took the Bears to the Super Bowl. Even his first couple seasons with Illinois, taking on that you know an awful Big Ten team, he did pretty well his first couple seasons before getting fired in season five. And even as you know, you know, running the defense for the Texans, you know, they went from having nine you know takeaways you know, interceptions the year prior to upping that number up to, I believe, like 25 or something under Lovey Smith. So, you know, let's not act like this guy doesn't know how to coach. He's he's shown it at almost every level, actually. And he's shown some kind of measure of success. So I, I think it's, look, people can think what they want to think about McCown. They can think what they want to think about Lovey Smith. But I, I think it's just very disingenuous to think that Lovey Smith can't do the job here. I think he absolutely can. 
I think at the end of the day, the, the chips are still stacked against them, but you know, let's talk, let's, let's be honest, the same franchise, you know, hired Bill O'Brien as coach and GM. And what did he do? I mean, you have the exact opposite being true. That guy has never proven anything anywhere. Continues get continues to get coaching jobs with good franchises. I mean, he was he was one coach that was being looked at a lot this year because of what he did w- with Alabama as the OC. But you know that Alabama crew. I mean, it's all saving. Let's be honest. He he plugs and plays OCs and DCs because he loses them every year. You know, and that that team still runs the same year to year. So you know. They're willing to do that. You know, you don't you don't hear that same talking point with Bill O'Brien and how awful, you know, he was when he first got hired or, oh, why did he get this job? But you hear it with Lovey Smith, who's got a better resume. So 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 why the different talking points for those two, you know, at time of hiring? Why? Why? You know, uh, if anything, Lovey Smith's resume is, is so much better. So I just I think it's really, really important to not think of your opinion as fact. And, and that includes me and everybody else out there who, who, who wants to make some kind of conjecture and Hey, making sports calls is half the fun of sports. Once you start getting into the race stuff, you really, really, really have to be careful with what you think your opinion is versus what the facts really are and understanding that, Hey, you really don't have a full picture of this full story as a fan. Ray, be, before we shut out, I know you got a closing point that you want to end on. Let yeah. me just say this. Dennis Allen just got the Saints head coaching job. Okay. Mm-hmm. And before he was hired as a Saints head coach, you heard that Eric Bieniemy interviewed with the Saints for nine hours. Okay. They asked Mickey Loomis, who's the Saints GM, what was the criteria that he used to hire Dennis Allen? or I'm sorry, to hire the new head coach. And I quote, he wanted someone familiar with the Saints culture and a head, and had head coaching experience. Eric Bieniemy fits none of those roles. So this is what I'm talking about. Like you sat a man down for nine hours, but your criteria doesn't fit anything he's done. He doesn't know the Saints culture because he's been coaching with Andy Reid in Kansas City. You wanted somebody with head coaching experience. Eric Bieniemy has been a head coach on the college level, but not the NFL level. So even if you wanted to give him the advantage on one, he still was at a disadvantage on two. You get what I'm saying? And so that's when I hear things like that, I'd be like, this is just a, it's a joke. And this is the reason why you have the Flores lawsuit. This is the reason why they're upset because they're like, bro, we're walking into these interviews, interviewing with these people. For nine hours, and then when they come out with the reason why they selected who they selected, it's clear that we didn't fit the criteria in the first place. And so I agree with you, Dan. Like you're spot on <clears throat> on opinions, and I try not to give a lot of them because you, you, they can be taken a lot wrong. But I just had to bring that up on the pod. Like it's crazy to me that a GM comes out after he's interviewed a guy and said, Oh yeah. So we hired this guy because he just fit both criteria, but the other guy had no, he had no way of fitting that criteria. I, I just want to touch one more thing on top of that, you know, and, and this is where I, I get into that back and forth of why is it different between white coaches and black coaches to me? Like 
Bienemy not having got a chance anywhere yet, it's it's astounding, especially when you consider what Kansas City has done. And what do I mean by that? Well, everybody just looks and says, well, he has Patty Mahomes and he has weapons and he has Patty Mahomes. Well, what happened to Patty Mahomes last season? What happened to Patty Mahomes at the beginning of this season? The league figured him out. So who who reconstructed that offense? I mean, I'm sure it was a lot of the enemy and Andy Reid, but they did it. And, you know, they saw everybody was taking the coverages over the top, over the top, over the top. That's how the that's how the entire league adjusted to Patty Mahomes. So what they do, they reconstructed the whole entire offense to now take short passing routes, you know, short bubble screens, everything else, using their their players and speed on, on short plays, getting the ball out quick. Patty Mahomes, fantastic player. And and I, I get the talking point of it's maybe it's more, but we really just saw the proof in the pudding on on how good that offense was able to adjust for Kansas City, because let's be honest, this is a copycat league. And when you're at the top, every team is always gunning for you and always adjusting to to what you're doing and giving you their best shot. I mean, even the Lions had almost been Kansas City a couple seasons ago, you know, but last point being and, and, and my original point I wanted to make was, you know, the s- same things that they were saying about the enemy about, you know, oh, it's Andy Reid or it's oh, it's that offense. Why, why didn't they say those same things about Nagy? You know, he was given he was given the head coaching job for the Bears from being a KCOC. Why, why, why didn't those same talking points come up? You know, it, it, it's just it's just weird to me that these talking points arise more so just out of convenience, you know, it, it is what it seems to me. Yeah, and when you talk about Eric Bieniemy, I just keep waiting to see where in the world is he going to eventually get a head coaching job. And although last year I thought he probably had better opportunities elsewhere, it's just he never got hired in. This year I, you know, kind of looked and I just didn't really personally see a fit for any of the teams. Like even if you look in Jacksonville, I actually was kind of secretly hoping that uh, Eric, uh, Jim Caldwell would get the nod there just because of everything that uh, Urban Meyer went through. I felt like that, you know, that organization along with Houston probably needed somebody with a little bit more stability. And so hiring a head coach, maybe that could maybe stabilize the organization would probably be the better hire there. Who knows how lo- much longer that Andy Reid's really going to be coaching anyway. I mean, he's kind of getting up there in years and it wouldn't surprise me the least if Andy Reid just kind of like hands things over to Eric Bieniemy in a few years. Uh, but I guess we're just going to have to kind of see where things go. And hopefully the league makes, you know, decisions that can help more minority head coaches to get hired. But at the end of the day, I think Goodell's right. It's the, if the owners aren't willing to hire minority head coaches, you can throw all the incentives out there. You can throw all the little you know pieces of candy, but if they don't want to take it, then it, we're just going to have to keep having this conversation every off season until sooner or later you get head coaches that get hired. But I guess that will just conclude our uh, podcast for this week with uh, nuts with the Z about sports. And uh, you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at nuts about sports. And so make sure to follow us, give us a like, uh, you're adults, you know how to do that. I don't need to tell you how to do that, but, uh, thank you so much for tuning in again, uh, on behalf of Darnell, Dan and myself, Raymond, uh, thank you so much for tuning in and have a wonderful rest of your week.